dedication, discipline, passion, sacrifice, rise and rise again. Welcome to Any Given Chance. Boom. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Any Given Chance podcast, podcast about passion, what goes on behind the scenes. I love it. But before we jump into today's guest, got to give our sponsors a pump up. Number one, Squad Athletica, the best training gear getting around. You've got to get on there. Go see their Instagram, SQD Athletica, or jump online and you can check out their shop. Throw in your Any Given Chance code AGC. That'll give you a little discount at the end. Black Rose Barbers, the boys around the corner over near the Mermaid Fitness. Oh, not Fitness First. It's Good Life now over there at Carabunya Street. Liam and the boys will hook you up, make you look like a million dollars. I tell you right now, Steak Kings, where you get all your dry age steak. And of course, our big new major sponsor, big shout out to them, Ultra Bet. That's right. An Australian owned bookmaker. Fuck these overseas guys. Ladbrokes, Sportsbet. They've all sold out. They're all taking your money overseas. At least these guys are Australian owned. And if you're going to have a punt, of course, gamble responsibly, but do it through there. We're then able to take that cash and sponsor athletes, all the guys that we see on this podcast, the Nantes brothers, Popey, all the guys that are in the midst of it, Finney, Finney Askew, we can support them in their journeys on becoming world champions in their chosen sport, of course. So there it is. Make sure you give us a like, share, subscribe as well. So without further ado, here we are. I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but I am so stoked and pumped Mr. Keegan, Hippo, Scrawngrave, Skitsgrave, Gold Coast favorite hitman. He's also the Gold Coast favorite son. Keegan Hipgrave, welcome. Brother, I love your energy so much. I just knew that this is going to be a mad potty. So brother, thanks for having me. I'm pumped to be here. Yes. Welcome home. Where have you been? You've been down Sydney. I've been in Sydney. I've been in Sydney for the last probably two or three years now. But I I love the coast. Like I grew up on the Gold Coast, as you know. I try and get up here as much as I can. Mm. Flew in last night, woke up. There's not a cloud in the sky. It's a bloody beautiful morning. Got a little bit of a swim this morning. So, mate, I'm, I'm frothing a beer. It's God's country up it's here. It's the right? best, mate. It's the best. You've been doing much surfing down Sydney or? Mate, I do a little bit. I just, mate, it's a time thing, right? Like, yes. it's, you, mate, you get it better than anyone trying to allocate time. So, mate, it's been busy with like work, training, and then trying to find time for a wave. Like, I'll get out a little bit. Actually, I surfed Tamarama not too long ago. It wasn't as crowded. Like, I, I live out of Maroubra, which is sick. Like, it's cool. I always said, like, as long as I'm close to the beach, I'll be sweet. Like, I'll be fine. Maruba's great, but it's just busy, mate. It's just busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, and everyone, yeah, it's just, mate, you know what it's like. It gets a bit crazy sometimes. But, mate, yeah, as long as I'm close to the beach, I can have a little swim here and there. I'm good, bro. I'm good. Reignite that energy, get in touch with the ocean, get the salt water through your veins. I don't know what it is. Like, if I can get in the water in the morning or even in the afternoon to wash the day off, I just feel like so much more refreshed, just feel better. It's, I don't know, it's something about it. I don't know if it's just because we've been around it since we were kids or what it is, but I just feel good afterwards. You know? Every single time. And like, as we grow older, like, I'll go check it and I'll go, oh, it's not full foot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it looks a little bit cold. We're starting to get a little bit tentative as you get older, but no. But once, every time you actually get in there, get in the water, come out, you're just like, new person. You're just refreshed. You, and even like, if you've got a big day, if I have a huge day and I'm stressed out or whatever, I'll go for a swim and I'll come back and it's just like, I'll wash the day off me. And I come back and come home and I'm not, I'm not taking all that stuff home. So yeah. it's great, man. Cleans the soul. That's, it. That's what it is, doesn't it? It cleans you, the soul. Brother, you get it. Oh, well, mate, why Sydney? Why are you hanging down there? Obviously, my background's NRL. I retired from the NRL a couple of years ago, but I moved to Sydney 
for with the Parramatta Eels. So yep. I guess my background real quickly is I did most of my junior development with the Broncos, with the Brisbane Broncos under-20s competition, which was really cool. Got to play with the guys like Paddy Carrigan, Payne Hass. Actually, we, I was talking to my old under-20s coach yesterday and we we're going through the boys who have kicked on to play in the NRL. There's so many crew. Like Paddy, obviously, Payne, Keenan Palacia, Katoni Staggs, Herbie Farnworth, guys who have moved clubs like Jai Arrow, Joff and Gowie, like our whole, I, mean, I could go through the whole team and pretty much everyone's played great, which is a credit to the Bronx, like junior system, it's unreal. Anyway, I went to the Titans for five years where obviously we met up with the great Anthony Don and Mitch Rain and we had, a, we had a couple of good surfs and we had a fantastic surf trip over in the Mets, which was cool. But then after that, mate, I moved to the Parramatta Eels, which was great just to finish off my career at a, at a ripe old age of 24. Matt, I was medically retired, as you probably know, with concussion, but I stuck around. I stuck around in Sydney. It's not going to be forever, but it's cool for now. Yeah, setting up shop. Well, let's dive back into that. How did you get into footy? Like, was it in your blood? Do you come from a rugby league family or what is it? My old boy used to play. He said he was quite good when he was in in high school, but I, I don't know. I've never seen any footage. But no, he did his ACL when I think he was about 18 or 19. So he didn't kick on after that. He was one of those guys that, you know, I think when you do your ACL back then, they couldn't reattach it. It was pretty much, no. he was running around with no ACL. Marky, old man Menion, he hasn't got one. They, yeah. he just, they went, oh, we might be able to do that. And he's like, ah, no, don't worry about it. Still going around with it today. And he's running around. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. So, mate, he used to play, but didn't, not a huge, like, obviously my old boy, my whole family loves footy. Yeah. So that's how I got into it. I started playing it under eights at Southport Tigers for a year, moved to Narang Roosters, the old, old Narang Rooters, which was good, mate. Very heavily Polynesian background in Narang, which was really cool. We were the tough sort of grubby, grubby team. Yeah. I, guess. I guess that's why I was so aggro when I was playing footy. I think I was, I was nurtured with that. But no, nah, mate, it was cool. So I got into footy. I guess I kind of had some really great role models around me. Paul Harrigan being one of them, the chief. Obviously Australian footballer, played state of origin, captain the Newcastle Knights, like one of the greats. His parents and my grandparents were really good friends. We're just really great family friends. And we would holiday every year together at Crescent Head. Yeah, right. Cracking spot. Like we would spend a month at Crescent. We'd be surfing every day. Paul would be on the sand, I guess, like playing touch footy with all the kids. Like he was that kind of guy. Like he wasn't just a great athlete. He was also the best person. And he was probably someone who I looked up to. Like he had respect from all of the players. Like I remember hearing stories from people around, I guess, the caravan park of just everyone respected him and how he always gave time for everyone and how he was just so genuine and caring and nice. And I guess that was something I looked up to and not only a hard, tough player. So when I was coming into grade, I was like, that's someone who I want to be like and that's someone who I want to play like. So I guess, yeah, I had that really competitive nature, like style of footy that I just got nurtured through. And people like, I remember all my coaches said, don't lose that aggression. Like don't lose that aggression because it kind of what sets you apart from everything else. And man, to be honest, I wasn't that skillful as a player but I would just go hard. So that's what I did. But then also to the side of that, it was like, yeah, he went hard and he played hard, but he was also such a great person off the field. And he had a really great family. He had some really great parents and good people around him. So I guess that's where I want to start. Anyway, long story short, yeah, got into footy and (laughs) just kept playing. Mate, I can contest for that for you. Watching you cross that line, animal. Coming off the line, Nicest human in the world. <laughs> so to be able to control that switch, because a lot of players can't control that. A lot of players don't know because they're adrenaline junkies. You're in a, a forceful sport. You're getting bashed. You're getting body contact every day of the week, no matter what. Now, then you take them into a different situation and they can't switch off. They're still in that like high adrenaline rush, need to be hit. Like 
put them in bad situations with alcohol and drinking and anywhere. So for you to have that ability, and I think now I understand because I've never heard that story with Paul Harrigan, but he was the same animal on the field, absolute animal off the field, like you said. He's the chief, he's the, he's the best. And like you look at those old footage of Paul and is it Carol, Spud yeah. Carroll, like running off the kickoff and they knock each other out. And I remember looking at that and I kind of like looked up to that. Like that was something that I really wanted to do. And even playing footy, I don't know, I just, it was always this thing that as soon as I crossed the line, it would just, a flick would just switch. And I'd be like, I need to be the most competitive player on this because I wasn't really relying on anything else. I was just relying on the fact that I wanted to work harder and outcompete everyone while I was playing. Like Carl Lawton, we ended up playing against each other a couple of times. Like he was at the Warriors, then went to Manly. Even players in the other team would be like, is Keegan sweet? Like he's just bloody 100 miles now on the field. He's a bit of a grub. Like he's like, is he sweet? Like is he all there in the head? He's like, mate. And Carl is like one of my best mates, obviously. Yeah. And he's just like, he's a good guy. Like he's a nice guy ever. Just as soon as he gets on the field, he's wild. Yeah. And then obviously, mate, footy's a small world once you start knocking around with a few of the boys and even rugby league's an even smaller world. Once you start getting to know a few of the boys, it's like, mate, like, remember when we used to always have run in Sam Lasoni, when he came to the Gold Coast Titans a couple of years before we were playing Warriors in a trial match and me and him sort of went at it. We didn't throw any punches, but we were just going back and forth all game. Me and Nathan Peets, we actually shaved our head, skinhead, the night before uh, just for something fun to do. I don't know. We're just taking the piss, I think. We shaved the head. So we were full skinhead. And we went out, we were playing in Sunshine Coast and we came up against the Warriors in like a trial match. And me and Sam Lasoni just went at it for like the whole game. And there's this really great photo of me and him like holding each other, like hand, like head on head, like fist on fist, like ready to go. Pizzi's in the background as well. So it was like me and Pizzi with these two shaved heads looking like absolute like thugs. <laughs> and Sam's a big dude. Anyway, Sam came to the Titans a year later or two years later and I showed him the photo and we were just laughing. We got on so well. He's like, man, I thought you were the biggest grub. Like I thought you were like just a dickhead. And we got on really great. Like he was, he was probably one of my really good friends in the team, but it just shows like, yeah, once you're on the field, it's, yeah, it's pretty gnarly. It gets pretty heated. You got to be able to step off the field and be able to just, you know. 100%. I think I can remember one battle that I had. Um, it was Sunshine Coast. I was rounding out my career, retired at the grand old age of 27, I think. But we're playing East and I was having running, same thing in the game, with the hooker. And blonde hair, surfy guy, you know, because I've lived in, in the water and still played footy. Not my smartest decision, you know, surf four hours and then go try play footy in the Queensland good luck, Cup. Mate, good luck, Not a good idea. But yeah, just into me, you surfy fuck, rah, rah, all these sort of things. And, you know, he got me a good shot and I've come down over the top and just went bang with an elbow, split me. And I heard him get up going, did you get him? Did you get him? They're like, yeah, yeah. I was like, like burning up. Anyway, I don't know if he copped a, a shot in the nuts or if he was just blowing, like, because there was so much, but he's sitting on there going, like, rolling up like that. And I'm running past and I've caught it and just rubbed it all in his face. <laughs> <laughs> caught it and just went like that. Going, ah. And he's after me because he's blowing. So a couple more after it, but after the game, man, were we laughing. I've got blood pouring down here. Yeah. He's got still bits of spew all over his face. But that's the best way to do it though. Like oh. people take the game so seriously, right? Yeah. And especially fans. Like they can't decide for the fact that it is just a game of footy. Like yeah. and, and to be honest, most of the boys get on like after the game. Yeah. Like obviously there's those rare occasions where you might be off someone or whatever it is, but it's game of footy yeah. at the end of the day, like, which is pretty wild. You gotta respect the other people because they're in the same trade as you. It still might be heated because you're either lost or winning, you can't take it. But I'm sure if you spoke a day later, you'd be like, all right. Boys are uh, so competitive. Like I remember I did the Power Awards night 
last week and they obviously got knocked out of the eight. They played the grand final last year. They've been playing semis, I don't know, for yeah. the last couple of years. The boys were so disappointed. Like they were so disappointed. They were so close to being in the top eight. They played Penrith Panthers in the very last game, big game, and they pumped them. They played their unreal. And Penrith and Para, like a big rivalry. Yeah. Like when I was at Para, that was always the biggest game that everyone got up for. And then they won the game. Penrith are going, probably going to go on and, and they might win the comp. Like they're obviously coming first at the moment. Like they're, like they're killing it. And they're, they're obviously tipped to win it. We smoked them. So it just shows that we, like Para, they are, they can be in the eight. Like they, they're a top eight side, but they just obviously, for whatever reason, happen throughout the year. But the boys were filthy. And the boys were so filthy. Clint Gutherson got up one player of the year, like the Ken Stevens, or Thornton, sorry, Ken Thornton medal. He won it and he was just so angry. And all the conversation afterwards was like, we're disappointed. Like we wish we were still playing finals. And you just, it, there's this like inbuilt competitive nature in them that it's so hard to turn off. It's hard when you know you should be there as well. It's a bit different when you don't deserve to be there. Even though it's like, oh, we want to be there coming in the last wooden spoon or something like that, you're like, yeah, okay, we need to fix things first. But when you've done that, beaten the top team, smoked them, should be competitive and you've fallen short of getting in there and you know you're better than three or four teams, that's a very hard pill to swallow. And then you've got to go back and look at your performance and go, all right, where was it? Where did we change? And rugby league's such a busy game now. It is such a busy game. And that Penrith Panthers are so good. This is what I see. They're all in that age group of 23 to 29 men. They've come out of the 19 young gun. They've built into their bodies. They're at the perfect age, perfect size. They're all going well together. A couple of big leaders outside of it. Bang. How good. Mate, it's exactly the same as the Brisbane Broncos, right? Yep. Like those, they're a young team. And most of those boys, we were playing under 20s together. They're like, there's got to be eight, nine, 10 players in that squad that we were all playing under 20s together. They were all in it. Herbie Farnworth, Payne Haas, Paddy Carrigan, Keenan Palacia, Katoni Staggs. There's so many boys that came through that under 20s competition and you have that bond together. Like they've got such a strong bond. Like look at them, the game last night. They pumped Melbourne Storm, who's a top four side. Like they're a gun and just shows that, yeah, they have that mateship and being able to play together for a long period of time. And that's the hardest thing, being able to keep those plays together because usually they're killing it and they're going to get offered big cash from elsewhere. Like same with Penrith, same with Bronx for next year. So it'd be cool to see what Bronx do this season. Yeah, because they're all in around that 60 to 150 game. So I noticed that the Titans and sometimes that have 200 game players, three game players. There's no, and that, I think that's that perfect rhythm where they find that the middle-aged men, they realize they're not, oh, I'm playing NRL. They're like, I deserve to be in the NRL and we're going to win a comp. And they're all in that small group. There's no division. And Penrith hit that, nailed that on the head for the last three, four years. Clubs, some clubs do it really well. Like our (laughs) Titans, we went through three club rebuilds. I went through three coaches in a matter of like five years. Do it this way. Do it that way. No, no, no. We're going to do it this way now. Neil Henry, when I first got there, debuted in 2017. Then we had Garth Brennan for a couple of years. And then we had Justin Holbrook on the back end of it. There's three coaches that you're learning from in in five years. How do you get that consistency, right? I always say that about Ash Taylor. Signing for big dollars. Like, take the money, mate. Well done. But then he's gone from being coached by Wayne Bennett, system, 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 this is what I get. If he would have stayed with Wayne and followed him around for less, he would have been an origin halfback. But he came over here and goes, okay, we're going to play this way. You're a million dollars, run the game. And then a new coach comes in, we're going to do this, this way. And like, it's just like, you're expecting him to have all the skills straight out of the bank. I was so critical of Ash as well going, oh, you know, just because I love watching his play footy, I wanted just to win. And then as I took a deeper look at it, I was like, 
he's not getting Joey Johns like down at the storm, like or Cooper over here coaching him, or Wayne, you know, bleeding him in and, and consistently coaching him. He's just getting pushed in this direction, this direction, this direction. And 20 this direction. years old. The bloke was 20 years old. Like, what do you expect? You expect a 20 year old player to, to come in and change the whole game? No, imagine like exactly what you just said. Imagine if he stayed with Wayne, put him in a Melbourne system, put him under Trent Robinson, put him under a coach who has that experience, all those top tier players who he can learn from. Exactly. Right? He like, and it's sad to, and that ties into the pressure. Yeah. Like the pressure of playing professional sport at such a high level and you're so young, like you're still trying to figure out yourself. How hey, I'm like 26, I'm still trying to figure out myself now. And then imagine being thrown into that world or that bubble, because it is a bubble. Professional sport is a bubble where you're earning a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, million dollars a year, and you got all this outside pressure of people wanting to you to perform. But it's that, but it's also the internal pressure that you're putting on yourself to be that person. And you're probably, your identity is wrapped up into that. You know, you might make mistakes around family or ma- managing time or there's just so much that goes into it where you're putting everything into it. Like I would never knock someone for saying, oh, this guy's on a million dollars a season. He should take the team to the next level. Like if you go, if you get offered a million dollars a season, you're going to take the cash. Yeah. Uh, like 100%. How, how do you walk away from that? Like that would be a hard thing to walk away from because it, it sets you up. Like that's a, that's a life-changing thing. Yes. And he obviously works so hard to get there. But yeah, like you said, imagine putting him in like a Melbourne system or something like that. That's a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. With rugby league, take the money. Daily Cherry Evans, happy days, backflip. I'm all happy for it. Look after yourself. But whoever you sign for, it's no longer the one club, one person, man. It's a professional sport. You got to go where you go. It's a rotation. They'll, you do your knee, I'll flick you. Look at Jimmy, Ryan James at the end. Yeah. Had enough of him. See you later. And he killed it. And he just happened to do his knee because he was putting in so much effort. And then, see you later. Just quickly, who was the best out of those three? Neil, Garth? I don't know, mate. Like, I've got no idea. They all had different things. Like, Neil, I didn't get enough of. Okay. I, I came into the back end of the season. I pretty much arrived. And then he got sacked or he yeah. left or whatever the situation was. And then I had Breno. Breno was really passionate. And that's sort of my thing. Like I love, I love the passion. I love the aggression. And he sort of like, he fed into that. Not so much analytical as Justin. Justin's probably specialty is, is attacking, like an attack coach. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. They were all different. I couldn't say one was better than the other. Wayne was probably the best. Like when I was at Bronx, right. I signed my first professional contract when I was 17. So that was a four-year deal. Went full-time at 18 which was really cool. So I was training with the guys who I looked up to, like your Corey Parkers, Sam Thiday's, Josh McGuire's, Darius Boyd's, like, and that, so that seems stacked. Alex Glenn, you know, Jordy Carr, who like, look at the lineup, like they're mm. international origin players. So I came into that side, just a bull at a gate, like so competitive. And I had got someone like Wayne, who is one of the most successful coaches in our era, but he just kills it. And what he does really well is that he, gets the players like he understands the players like he's not so analytical like he'll come in when it's needed but he'll really lean on the assisting coaches but what he gets out of the players is so much more than what anyone else because he understands them he's so good with people like talk to Jai Arrow and guys who actually played I never got to play NRL underneath him I only got to train with yeah. the top squad I never got to play and make my debut for the Bronx but talking to guys who are in it they're just like he would I remember Jai Arrow was saying in one of the matches, he would just like, he would do anything for Wayne. Like, I think Wayne had a conversation before running out and he's just like, I will do anything to win this game. Which wow. is just on a word on that, like, Wayne's, how old's Wayne now? 70s? In his 70s? I can't even fathom talking to a 20 year old now, let alone continually coaching young men to become adults, to not do something stupid, to not fuck up as an adolescent. If that was my life, that is a skill that is unbelievable. 
there needs to be more of it. I tell you right now, smart mentors, because we've got so many of this young generation that's coming up that doesn't understand how to be a man. It doesn't understand how to take responsibility for the action. And Wayne, to repeat that, I couldn't do it. No way in the world could I just deal with the youngness or the brains or, or like trying to figure out a 17 or 18-year-old now. And for him to do that on repeat his whole life, is that's fucking amazing. Well, the best coaches do it well. Craig Bellamy, Trent Robinson, Wayne Bennett. Like I look at those three as probably the top three coaches in the NRL right now. And they're all people first. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. They're amazing coaches and they do it really well, but they just... They've got rapport with the athletes. They've got rapport with their players. They want them to do well out. So they want their family lives to be right. They want them to get their plan B, their life around footy. Because when you're happy and you're playing football, that's when you're playing your best footy is when you're happy. You know, you look at guys who go through the ringer with whatever it is, family dramas, finance dramas, whatever it is, like drinking too much, whatever it is, when they're happy and everything's content in their lives, that's probably when they're playing the best footy. 100%. We just had Nikki Teller on here and she's a holistic. So... She'll looking at our diets and all that and our supplements and your bloods and all that last. She'll look at where's your stress? Where's your financial? Exactly what you said. Where's your relationship stress? This is one thing about professional athletes. I'll tell you right now, it's changed. I used to have an edge in mind because I used to train 50% harder than I could see everyone doing it. Doing a little bit of gym and all that. I was like, sweet. I'm going to 10X this and I'm going to be fucking sweet because I've got an edge. There's no edge anymore. Everyone trains to their spew. So how you get your edge now is your one percenters. And it's not the one percenters that's training. It's your sleep. It's your diet. It's your relationship. If you have a poor relationship or a fight with your missus, you think your training session is going to be good? No. If you're something's out of balance or line and that, that is the new one percenters. And like you said, if you can get that happiness in everything, sport, life, wife, anything, like business, it just falls into line. And I guarantee you every day is just a happiness and, and it flows and it just provides, you know, for you. There's no stress. Everything that you just said is such like a nail on the head. Like it's everything, sleep, diet, everything that you just said is the nail on the head. And that's why I think we're going to start to see more like psychologists move into the space. Like in the NRL and AFL system, even any professional sport, there's not really many full-time psychs involved, whether that being performance psych, whether that being positive psych, whether that's being someone, because like we said, everything is sorted outside of your footy or your sport, then your sport's going to be better. There's a psychologist by the name of Jackie Lauder, who's the Hollywood psychologist. She's been on board with the team for the last couple of years at Hollywood, and they're doing it probably the best that I've seen in any... Like I have a lot of contact with a lot of clubs like around Australia with my work, with what ability. Regardless, we talk to a lot of the wellbeing managers and, and a lot of clubs. And I called Jackie because I, I am really interested in the psychology and mental health space. It's everything I'm doing with the podcast with Keegan and Company, and it's everything that I want to move into. I want to move into the mental health space. So I caught up with Jackie and we had a really great chat and because I just wanted to hear how she goes about things in that professional environment. And mate, anytime that a new player or a young kid comes through, she knows everything about them. She knows their academic grade. She knows if they have learning difficulties. She knows, you know, what they like to do. Like they, she knows everything about the player when they come on board and then she can have conversations with them. So she's full-time with the club. Like mm. she, she was like, she's got her own clinic, but she's full-time with the club which is so impressive. And they've obviously had so much success. Like they just won the preliminary final on Thursday night. So they're going through to the, the major semi or the grand final, whatever it is. And then, but they're at the point now where the players was driving her to sit on the sideline during a game. So now she's sitting with the assistant coach or whoever's on the sideline. So when players aren't having a good game, when the players need to come and have a conversation about their performance, they can come off, have a conversation with them. It's like, okay, what did we talk about last week? Like, 
Where is our focus? Whatever tools that she's using. And that's all play driven. Like mm. if it's not play driven, it's not going to happen. So I'm really curious to see what the next 10, 20 years is going to look like. Are we going to see more psychologists in the sporting world? In America and the UK are doing it great. Like you look at the NFL and basketball players, they got two or three club psychologists that travel around with the team all year round. Like they're full time, like they're pretty much family and they've got the tools to be able to help them, not only from looking everything outside of like outside sport, but then also like in that performance, like positive psychology space, which is so interesting. It's so fascinating. Yeah, you're exactly right. But what we brought up on was train hard, party hard, train harder. Or on the field, if there was a mistake, you'd feed it to the other person, absolutely feed it to them. And if they didn't feel right, it will come back at you. It was just that hard mentality. Yep. That's it. Deal with it. Go home. And think. I mean, look, there's a happy medium as well. Like too much psychology, I think you're relying on that person. So you've got to be able to sort of figure out your own problems as that because if you get out of this situation, you're talking to this chick two or three times a week and then she's not there. The best psychologist gives you the tools for you to do it yourself. Yeah. That's the best psychologist and the best coaches will give you the tools so you can do it yourself. I'm actually on a different path at the moment. So I've been down that road, tools, bettering myself, everything like that. Here we go on the podcast. I'm dealing with a chick over in France, actually. Yeah. It's one of these different sort of ones. And you just talk, okay? And you just, she just leads you on this path. And it's basically like a self-discovery type of psychology. And it links things, what you're doing now, all the way back to what happened at school or a trauma there. And you just, I don't know if I like it yet because it, you know, it's a, it's it's a journey, but it's just a different, and there's no tools. There's no answer. There's no wrong answer. It's just like that internal discovery. Because I'm always about, how do I better myself? I've got an issue. Let's sort it out. If I can't sort it out myself, which I'll try my arsehole first, all right, let's try and get some help. This journey and this new way of doing it, like thinking like that, it's confronting to my, say the least. My favorite thing about you is that when you do something, you're 100% in. Yeah. The podcast, training, meals, cooking, smoking, like everything, everything you'd surfing. Like smoking meats, by the smoke, way. I don't smoke. Sorry, sorry smoking <laughs> meats, smoking. I'm not Joe Rogan here. I'm not sitting here. <laughs> I've, met, I've met smoking meat. So yeah. that's, that's, that's the best thing. But that's what I love about you, mate, is that everything that you do, you're 100% in on, yeah. which, I, which I really look up to and I would get a lot of inspiration from. It's good. But like anyone, it's so hard to stay up there. And sometimes motivation comes, but that feeds this other monster that's down here that I call him the monster. Keep him away. I have to be up here so he, the little man in my head stays out. That's just how I run. But it's actually these two people combine. They know each other and they know that this person needs to exist to bring this person down out of the 100%. So, so as soon as we do, it's like, bang. And then I need to change again. I'm like, oh, I should have let the monster take over. Bang. And I'm, this is what I'm working with Nikki and all that. Just to find that you still do everything 100%, but it's within balance and yeah. flow because this is not a path to life. This is a path to life. There shouldn't be so many setbacks and all that. I find this in rugby league, all right? This is where we're going down with the Keegan & Co. It's all about the mental space, isn't it? So this is where we go with people after football who latch onto that identity. You find it in 28, 30, 35. How many people do you speak to who have, I'll call it a midlife crisis or an, I shouldn't call it a midlife crisis, identity crisis. Who am I? And you see them go down that ro- wrong path, drugs, alcohol, still trying to find that aggression because they're not getting tackled every day and hit. What's your experience in seeing that around there? Let's jump into it. What's the Keegan & Co podcast about? Keegan & Co, so Keegan & Company. So it's all about the company you keep. 
It originally started, I guess, as a way to have conversations with athletes to help normalize the conversation of mental health, I guess, at the end of the day. I love mental health. I'm an ambassador for mental health. I sort of got into it when I lost a mate to suicide when I was 17, which I'm happy to touch on. When I was 17, we were going through the, the schoolboys competition and, and there was a guy by the name of Regan Grieve who we were both like, I guess, co-captains of the Queensland schoolboys team. We were playing in Darwin. He was obviously a good friend growing up. We were rooming together at that carnival. He's the guy who everyone looked up to. Like he was our captain. He was the guy who everyone loved, respected. He was funny. From the outside looking in, he has it all together. You know, he signed with Cowboys. You know, he was going on to do an NRL preseason. Like he was just a guy who I really looked up to in the side. Anyway, we played the state carnival. We both got picked for the Australian schoolboys team, which was a six-week tour over in England and France, which is an insane opportunity. Yeah. Like, you, like you look at the guys who play in the Australian schoolboys competition, most of them go on and play NRL. Like I think in our side, 20 out of the 24 players went on to play in the NRL. And what an experience at that age as well. 17, 18 years old, traveling around England and France, playing tests against England, playing tests against France, getting to travel the world, which is wild. Anyway, Regan broke his leg in the state competition. So he got picked in the Australian schoolboys side, but he couldn't go overseas and travel, which is wild. And I guess that kind of started this downward spiral, which he went through. And I later found out that he was in the hospital throughout that Christmas, New Year period. And they thought he might have bipolar, but it was never fully diagnosed. Anyway, he ended up committing suicide on the Australia Day of 2015. I remember getting a call from a friend, Kurt DeLewis. We knocked around a bit together, me, Regan and Kurt, in that schoolboys competition. And we were, we were really close. And it just took me by surprise, mate. Like he, he maybe called me, he's like, Regan's he's killed himself. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks because he was a guy who I looked up to. He was a guy that everyone loved, but we just didn't know. Like I roomed with this guy. He was my best friend in the side. Like he was someone I looked up to and I had no idea, mate. And so it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, well, I'm never going to let that happen again. I want to be the guy who I go through and my mates can talk to. And that was the thing that started with all the things that we did with Movember. Like I've been yeah. an ambassador with Movember for the last like seven, eight years. That's like we did those Froth Your Moose events. I remember at Wilderness yeah. where, where we'd have a couple of beers and it, and it would all be around like mental health and normalizing the conversation, right? Because yeah. we've both been through it and we both see so many guys who go through these mental struggles. So so anyway, I've been an ambassador for November for the last eight years and I really want to lean into that mental health space. And more recently, I found out, I was like, what can we do? Like, what are some like hands-on actual impact that we can make? And I was like, well, I thought about having a podcast, but I was like, I didn't really have anything to say. I, well, I didn't think I did. I was like, I don't want to be adding to all the amount of shit content that's out in the world. And I've always been having great conversations behind closed doors, usually after a couple of hundred beers like yes. <laughs> with your mates because you do. Like That's what happens. You, yeah, you, let, you let the creation flow. You let the creation yeah. flow, but, but it doesn't have to just be on the beers. It could be surfing. Like when we go surfing or a run or over a coffee or going for or whatever it is. But I was having these really great conversations and I figured, well, all my role models are all my like people who I looked up to growing up were athletes like they're the most influential people in the world I think and so I thought well if they can be seen having these really tough vulnerable conversations then it makes it okay for us to be able to have these conversations and a lot of them are mates to be honest like I'm fortunate enough to have some friends who are doing some really cool things in the sporting space just from purely just being in it because it is a small world and growing up with them and being around that environment so I thought well, let's just sit down and go on this learning journey. So I'll sit down with mainly friends and people who are kind of like high profile or who are doing some really cool things and letting them be vulnerable and letting them talk about struggles. And everyone has different struggles and everyone's going through their own shit and everyone has their own journey. 
but for them to open up and be vulnerable, then it makes it okay for everyone else to be vulnerable. And that's the whole concept behind Keegan and Company. And I want to continue having these conversations and I want to continue to learn about this. For me, mate, I'm not going into it thinking that I know everything. I know fucking nothing, mate. I'm on a learning journey. I'm here to learn. Like I'm never going to tell anyone what to do because I don't know. I'm trying to get as much information from the guests that come on and trying to understand. That's why like, I'm going to go do my postgraduate of psychology because I want to understand the brain. I want to understand why we do certain things and have the tools to be able to help our mates who will be coming out of professional sport or who still might be in it because that's the whole thing. Like, and even help the stuff that I've been going through. Like, I want to have a better understanding about it. So having the tools and frameworks to be able to help friends and families and crew who are going through it is, I guess, the long-term goal and dream. And oh God, and I'm on a journey. Like It's a full journey. It's not like you've got it all figured out because I don't. Uh-huh. But no, I really want to lean into that space. The podcast is a really great way to have these vulnerable conversations, to continue to normalize that, to break down the barriers and stigmas of mental health. Because at the end of the day, like it's just, it's being able to open up and like a problem shared is a problem half, which is huge, mate. So yeah, that's what I'm sort of leaning into at the moment, mate. Do you find with athletes, speaking to athletes, when they're vulnerable, I found this in the podcast, they'll half explore it and you need to sort of coach them into, it's okay, talk about this as well here. And they'll get into the story about being a little bit vulnerable or about down that and they're like, then they'll shut down. They'll go, but I'm not playing the victim mentality. Yeah. Or like they just close back up as if we know, okay, we know you're a professional sportsman. We know there's so many more problems out in the world. You're not here to talk about the worst problems in the world or compare apples to bees and bees to barrels. But you're just here to talk about this. And this information can resonate with 20, 30 people here, 100 people. And if it does, that's worked, okay? They always just, for me, they close up real quickly once they sort of figure out what they're talking about. And this is the athlete mentality as well. Stay strong, stay stay on positive. So I think what you're doing in this space is massive, massive, because they need to understand and everyone needs to understand that you're not comparing yourself to the worst person. There could be a completely different and worse off story. There is. But if you can just better yourself and then that puts you in a position to maybe help someone else. And it just spreads. A hundred percent. The compounding effect. And I think once you start to explain that to the crew, that your message can actually impact and actually change people's lives, then, then they're more likely to be vulnerable. And there's no such thing as forced vulnerability. Like you can't force someone to be vulnerable. They've got to be vulnerable on their own, on their own terms. But I think once you understand that, yeah, if I'm more open about my struggles that I'm going through, then it validates other people. And like, even it could be something so small. Like I sat down with Braith and Astart last week, who has an incredible story. Like we train every week and he's a really great role model. And he's someone who I lean on for advice, but he's obviously, he's captained every side that he's played in. He was rookie of the year in 2018. He's won grand final. He's the host of NRL 360. Play, like Plays off one. Don't. Plays off one. Yeah, yeah. He's a gun golfer as well. <laughs> But he's from the outside looking in, you think he's got it all together. Yeah. I mean, he goes through the same struggles and everything. Like he lost his dad to suicide when he was 14 years old. Went and played a golf tournament a couple of days later. Like how, like fucking goosebumps thinking about it. And for Braith to come on the podcast and to talk about his vulnerability. And I was like, mate, because I was a bit nervous. I said, mate, I don't know how to navigate. Like I'm cautious or I'm conscious about how to navigate this conversation. I was like, are you comfortable talking about your old man? He's like, mate, I was, used to be never comfortable about it. Like when I was 14, 15, I just bottled it up. I put it in a drawer. I went and played golf the next day. I just gone on with it. And I moved on. And he's like, it all caught up with me later on. I was like thinking, well, fuck, imagine how many kids are going to go through something similar, losing a parent, losing a kid. Like, 
And that's just one example of however many examples that there are in the world of people going through struggles because there are like everyone's different. But for him to come on board and just be vulnerable and just talk about it and give like what he wish he did. He's like, I saw a psych, but I didn't really lean into it. That I wish I was more open and I wish I talked about it and I wish I got it off my chest because I bottled it up. And he's like, and then he talks about how he was voted the most overrated player when he was, I think, 20 or 21 ah, years old. I remember that. Which he was like, he just won like five eight of the year. He just won a comp or whatever. Like he was having, he pretty much ticked every single box and then got overrated player into the year. And man, he almost gave the game away, which yeah. is, mate, it's just wild to think about. And it made, it's just a full circle. It shows like everyone who thinks they got it together. Mate, we all go through our own struggles. We all go through our own shit, but it's how we respond and what can we do to, to fix it. Yeah, 100%. And he got voted. There was no internet back then. It was in the rugby league week, your little fold-out paper, and there'd be the inside page that they would do, who's the most overrated player, and that's how they'd do it. Imagine if the internet was around. Wow. Oh, be wild. Man, the internet now, you can't be on it. You know what I mean? There's so many, but just that. Goosebumps, like you said, losing your father. I was so lucky. You're so lucky. We got great dads. But Marky, same thing. Desi Menion, unbelievable rugby league player, Captain Valleys for X amount of years, died at the age of 38. And dad was 18. And then he had to navigate 18 to, you know, then having me and being a young father. And I think that sort of motivated him to be such a good father with that. But he missed out on that. And I always just think, oh, I can't even fathom losing my dad. He's here every day. Plays with Sonny. We build everything together. He's taught me every skill that I know within building. He taught me how to surf. He taught me how to play rugby league. I just couldn't fathom my breath or us like going through life without it, man. Imagine, just, imagine not having that mentor to lean on. Oh. And that's why, and he and Braith talks about like having people around, like having mentors and having people to lean on is huge. Like it really is huge. But like talking to people is a great way. Having like male role models in your life as well, whether that being a coach, whether that being a school teacher, whether that being whatever it is going through, like we do need that. Like I think we really do need that growing up. Not really. We 100% need it. 100% we do. Paul Harrigan. I had my dad, but I also had Scott Park as well. So Parky played with Manly, Crushers, came back to the Sunshine Coast and I was a little surfy rat. He taught me how to train. So he was doing these Sunday things, basically training us young kids on... This is what it's like in the NRL. And that sort of clicked. And I was like, oh, okay, so this is how you got it. But without him, I, I don't know which path I'm going on. But that was that mental thing. And there's not enough of them out there. There's not enough coaches. And it's such a hard, you know, you need to have those mentors in your life. And you need those male role models and that and setting on your right, right direction because it can be make or break within you. It can be the difference between a, a really good path and a really good direction. And everyone's searching for them. The problem with it is now is there's so many on the net. Here, buy this course. Buy this thing. If I can tell anybody on the internet, do not buy a course that sells how to make a course. That's not mentorship. That's not you know, whatever's on there. No, go find a strong man leader around there or something that you want to do. A businessman, if you want to get into this industry or the mental health industry, especially young men, go find them, go hang off their side for three to six months for free and just do whatever they want. I'll guarantee you, you are getting paid, not in dollars and cents, you are getting paid in life skills and lessons that is going to teach you immensely throughout your life. Change your life direction. It's wild, man. And everyone thinks that they're a coach now without having the experience and backup to do it, right? Like, I'm not going to take advice from someone who hasn't been there and done it. I'm lucky to have really good people around me. And these guys are, you know, you have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years on me, maybe not 50, maybe 40. But you know what I mean? Like, these guys have been there and done it. And I guess 
when I'm looking for someone to look up to or someone who I want to emulate, they've done what I want to do, whether that being in football, whether that being in business, whether that being in the mental health space, physical space. Like I'm not going to take fitness advice or like gym advice from someone who hasn't lifted a day in their life or who may have been in the gym for the last year. It's pretty wild, but I love what you said, like having good, strong role models around you who tie into your values is huge. Yeah. And I always say that as well, like that's young. We have so many lives. Our lives, your rugby league life is, well, it's not over because you're still in it, but that part of your life is over. You know, you're now growing into the Mendel space, the podcast and helping everyone. This is like a a second life. So you've dedicated since you were balls deep in rugby league, six years old. So you've still done 20 years in that industry. Now you're going to do 10 in this. You're going to be three into knowing what you're doing. You're going to be five. You're going to be an expert. 10, you're going to be a professional who can help you. And then we might restart and start something else. Okay, let's try this in life. That's for me. I need to touch everything within my life. I need to experience everything. That's just who I am as a person. I've got the surfing skill, but I'm not surfing as much anymore. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm throwing myself into this. I'm throwing myself into boxing. I'm just finding that learning and ability. And I think in life, we just need to continue to grow and not be scared to be an amateur again. Not be scared to go back to point one. Not be scared to you know, learn something that you've never done. Shout out to my cousin, by the way. Always been in the background, done nothing. Sam, well done. Went and did a real estate course. I mean, she's worked in coffee shops, nightclubs her whole life. She's had three kids and she's just clicked it. Like, okay, I'm going to go do this. And she's completed the course. So, But that, I just continually edge people like hit reset. If you've lost it all, hit reset. Go again. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Who cares? I had someone who I really looked up to. He was a chef for like 20 years, 20, 30 years, like owned and bought, like bought and owned restaurants. It's a hard life. That's the thing. It's a hard life. He had three young kids, a wife, partner. So the wife and partner were just one. He only had one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he he got to, I think like 35 or maybe like 40 years old. And he's like, I can't, this is not sustainable. I'm 40 this year too, Keeks. That's what I mean. But he's like, it's not sustainable. I'm going to go down the pharmacy route. So he ended up being a pharmacist, went to uni with three young kids. And after seeing that, I remember thinking, there's no excuse. Like you're never too old to start something. I love what you said that it's it's okay to come back and hit a reset button on something. Yeah. And just start that learning and understand the fact that you are going to be fresh and you are going to be new and it's okay to not be the best at everything. Because I think that's something that probably I struggled with coming out of sport. Like I came out, I was like, I've just got it. Well, I was in the top 0.01% of people who play rugby league to go on up to professional. Like I need to be the best at this right away. And that's something that I think I'm starting to learn that it's like, no, it's okay to not be the best. But yes, it's okay to want to be the best, but take that little step back and like, okay, well, what's the line? Like, how do I actually get there? Am I putting my best foot forward in doing certain things and taking the right actions? And that's not just in you know, your chosen trade or craft or, or what you're doing, that's in yourself as well. Is my path better than the day before? I mean, Goggins and that, they all speak about it, you know, 1% better than the other. It's legitimately the only thing that you should be doing. 1% better, 1% better, 1% better than the day before. Am, am I, like you said, on that trajectory, on that path? I but, love it. But it's with everything. It's like being a dad, being a son, being a good partner. It's not just like your job occupation because you know, like you mentioned briefly about identity, like people coming out not having identity, like athletes get so wrapped up in like sport being their whole identity and that's not them. What I'm starting to realize, I guess, is that no, when I'm happy and when I'm ticking boxes in my family life, in my personal life, in my mindset, am I managing my stress? If I'm ticking all those boxes, then everything else lifts as well. 
which is super important. Don't get me wrong, like have goals, be ambitious, like do whatever you want to do in your chosen field, whether it's business, whether it's sport, whether it's whatever it is. But like make sure make sure there's a balance between like your family life. Make sure there's a balance between like looking after your own mental well-being, your own physical well-being. Like I think it's all related. Yeah. And I always say that to everybody as well. I believe anybody can do anything. It's just time. Do we have enough time? You know what I mean? So obviously, if you want to be an astronaut, you're going to have to dedicate your whole life to be an astronaut. You can be. That's my mentality. If I want to be amazing on the guitar, I've just got to play the guitar for 16 hours a day for the next two years and I'll be pretty fucking good. Anything that you want to do for you. So there's there's no boundaries. This podcast, learning social media, learning how to set up cameras and that, this is a skill that I've developed. I was a dirty old rugby league renderer, okay, who built a company and who now has a podcast speaking to amazing people like you. And about the podcast, how good is podcast? And mate, it's a beautiful setup you've got here as well, just while we're here. <laughs> mate, I started with $15 Kmart speakers years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. But podcasting is so good because like you said, I don't know everything, but I'm grabbing information from you. And then I'm speaking to all these amazing people and they're sharing the energy and their stories and that. And I'm just getting smarter and smarter just by listening to people. And then you go, all right, what about this? And they go, oh yeah, I know about that. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, that was good. Thank you, thank it's, you, thank it's you. Like free, it's like free education. Free education. It's like layers of paint that build a mountain, right? It's like every conversation, every action that you do is just like a little layer of paint and then you do that over one year, yeah. over three years, five years, a decade. Imagine if you do this for 10 to 20 years. Imagine the volume of like knowledge and growth that you're going to have, which is so cool, man. I really love this setup and I really love what you've been yes. doing here. It's really cool, bro. Thank you, bro. Mate, I want to touch on on your retirement, if we can. Yep. Talk about the concussions and that, because it's something that I'm starting to struggle with now. I'm just grabbing information. And I've had, and this is all about the head knocks. I've had one huge concussion when I was a kid. We're actually on a swing, one of the ones that just go up and down, round and round, and you hold onto the side. And as it goes up, your legs swing out and all good. I've come off that, bang, into a pole, knocked out cold for three days. Like, when's Christmas? When's Christmas? They reckon I asked that a million times. Rugby league getting the knee and the head, finding the $2 in the grass. Where is it? Oh, I think it's there. There it is. For you, being in that forward position, that impact, that shake all day, every day, you've had a couple of bad ones. What was it on the last one? Or how did this all come about, your retirement and the decision? Well, I think it's an ongoing thing, right? I've had a lot of head knocks throughout my career. Like People ask me, how many head knocks have you had? I couldn't tell you. Like Honestly, I couldn't tell you how many head knocks I've had. I had a bunch when I went overseas and played in the Australian schoolboys. Had a bunch when I was a kid who obviously back times were different back when we played, right? Like it wasn't so diagnosed and it wasn't so looked after. And usually like I just thought a head knock was like the same as a shoulder injury or a cork and you mm. just you just get on with it. In under 20s, I had a fair few. I couldn't tell you how many I had when I was playing at the Gold Coast Titans in 2019. I had three big ones, a lot of ones that went undiagnosed, like because you Mate, it's not just a full diagnosed concussion. It's all the micro hits, all the, the micro shakes, the shakes, the shakes, the, the every, shakes. Every time we do a tackle, every time we go up for a hit up, every there's so many of those little ones that accumulate. Anyway, in 2019, I had three big ones where I was pretty much fully knocked out. Had some really big symptoms where like my emotions would be like a roller coaster. Like I'd be really happy, then really sad. I was becoming pretty forgetful. I was struggling. I guess like manage my energy levels, I guess. Anyway, the protocol is when you have three big concussions, you got to go off and see a neurologist. So I went through, did the brain scans, did the testing, and he obviously looked at all the vision and he said, your brain needs a break. You need to have six months off. So I had six months off, which turned to 12 months when COVID hit. And so I had the 12 months off anyway, but I was hungry to come back and play. Like 
you know what I was like. I was like, I'm not going to, like, nothing's going to stop me. Came back the fittest I'd ever come back. Didn't you what? Holy oh, shit. Oh, back. It was the fittest I'd ever been. I was winning all the fitness tests coming back in. End up playing the 2020 season at the Titans. Played, I think I was playing really good footy. And then anyway, then the season moved on to the Parramatta Eels in 2021. Same thing. Like, they were a pretty good side, mate. Like, they had Regan Campbell-Gillard, Junior Polo, Nathan Brown, Sean Lane, Ice, Papa. Like, he, they had a cracking side. And so, mate, to be honest, I was just happy to be in a winning side, playing in the semifinal side. I wanted to win a grand final. But same thing, I had three big head knocks. Like three, and my last one was against Penrith Panthers in round 26 in the 2021 season. And I remember we were defending our try line and Tavita Pangai did like a really hard unders line and I was the back row. And so I had to jam in on him and obviously came off second best. Like Tavita's a big boy. So I came off second best and my thing was the whiplash that came back and hit the ground. And, yeah. the, and you can look at a clip, like you can just pretty much Google any you know, kick and hit grave concussion and it'll come up. And I was fully, I was out cold. But that's when I really, like I've always noticed the symptoms, but that's when I had my worst symptoms. I had a headache for like six to eight weeks afterwards. Obviously, like we were going on to play semifinals. So I knew that I was ruled out. I knew that I wasn't going to play semifinals because of all the previous concussions that I had. Even just trying to do like a return, like a very easy return to play protocol. Like what that looks like is pretty much just like light weights. It might be like a hundred meter jog, like a light jog. But I couldn't even get through that without getting a headache or without feeling fatigue. And every time I do a session, I would just go sleep for the rest of the day. And so, wow. that, and so that was it. And the, mate, the big one that got me was when I was going to see my granddad. COVID happened. We were, we were living on the Gold Coast. Like the whole comm got moved to like Queensland pretty much. So I was back living on the Gold Coast, which I was loving. I was back with my friends and family. It was great. But I remember going to see my granddad who wasn't doing that great at the time. And I remember just being real agitated. Like I remember just being like really angry. And, but it's weird because like I knew that my brain was recovering. Like I'd been through it before. I knew that I just had to give it time. But I was just angry and I was irritable and little things were setting me off. And I remember going in to see my granddad who I didn't think at the time, he's still kicking, but I didn't think he had that much long lack left. And it was his birthday or some sort of event. And I remember just sitting there with my family and just being angry. But it was weird because I was conscious about it. And then I went back and then obviously the lunch finished up and I left. And I was sitting in the car and I just broke down. I remember thinking like, fuck, why am I so angry? Like, I'm, this is probably one of the last times I'm going to get to see my granddad. Like, it was just one of those moments where I was like, fuck, my brain is actually, it's still recovering. Like it's, and so anyway, I had to go see the neurologist because it was my third big concussion. Did the same test that I did a couple of years prior. And we had just some big conversations. Like he was just like, look, you know, you're, you're 24 years old. You've got a lot of stuff going outside of footy. He's just like, in my professional opinion, like I recommend that you should medically retire from rugby league. And How was that pill to swallow hearing that? Well, mate, that's the thing. Like it's obviously hard. It's hard to think, but mate, I agreed with him. Like I fully agreed with him because mate, like mate, I wanted to be, I want to be good when I'm 40, 50, 60, 70. Like I want to be good when I'm down the track. I want to be able to hang out with my kids one day. I want to be able to articulate my thoughts. I want to be able to do well in business. I want to do well in psychology. I want to be able to help people. And I was like, I want to, like you, I want to mm. be the best that I can be. What's going to help me if I go on and do a couple more years of playing professional footy and keep getting these head knocks? How much is that going to hurt me later on in life? And so to be honest, mate, of course, it was a tough pill to swallow. I love rugby league. I love being around my mates all day. I love that competitive atmosphere. Like, as you know better than anyone, like being in that space, like it's such a privileged position to be in and to play, not even just to play rugby league, but just to be in a professional environment. Like it is a privilege. But I was just like, well, like what are my priorities in life? 
my priorities is is having meaningful work, meaningful relationships. I want to be a good partner. I want to be a good son. I want to be a good dad one day. And so continuing to play rugby league is going to detriment my values and, and what I want to do. So yeah, it was a tough thing. So I agreed with the neurologist. At this point, the competition had finished. Like the games had wrapped up. So everyone like, when you finish up, everyone usually just goes travel. So I wasn't around the boys anymore. I was just around like my friends and family. So I had some tough conversations with my family. I wanted to lean on what they were doing or what they thought. And yeah, we just come to the conclusion that I should retire. And I remember it so vividly having the phone to being on the phone to Brad Arthur, because that was one of the first time that I said out loud to anyone else besides my family that I was going to medically retire from the footy. Like I spoke to the neurologist, we agreed, we're going through that process. And then I called Brad and he missed the call. And then he called me back like maybe five minutes later. And then I told him, I was like, mate, I think I'm going to medically retire from footy. And I was just like, I'm, like I don't know why I feel like I'm crying now. Yeah. Like two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I remember like just breaking down and he was just like, he's like, mate, like we love footy. Like footy is what we love, but it's not everything. Like it's really not. It's not everything. Like you got to look after yourself. You got to look after your family. And that just stuck with me. And mate, the club was so good. Like the boys were so good. I caught a few of my like really close friends in the team. I had to tell the whole team through a WhatsApp. Like usually when someone retires, you know, they're in the team environment, they're in the theater room or they're on the field yeah. and, they're, and they're, everyone's together and they get around you. But couldn't do that because everyone was out everywhere around the world or, yeah. or in Sydney or Goldie or whatever they were. So I had to tell them like over a WhatsApp message and mate, the love that I still got from those guys and the club, like the club, like the boys would, would always call, like they would always reach out and they, they, they were just there for me, mate, to be yeah. honest. They were just there for me. And then even the club to keep me around. Like I still do work with Parramatta Eels as an ambassador role. I love the club. Like even from from the CEO and front staff to the boys and and the trainers and the guys who strap her ankles. Like I've got so much love for that club. And that's why I'm still involved. And they're probably the ones like they could have just, you know, all right, yeah, get out of here. Like you yeah, just retire. Right. I mean, I was only there for a year. It's not like I was a 10-year player. No, but that's like, right. But they just looked after me and that's why I've got a lot of love for them. But yeah, mate, like I yeah, it was a tough time. But I think, yeah, we learn from these types of experiences and I've definitely learned more. And I made I wouldn't change it at all. Like I've learned so much in these last two years. And I'm so excited about the next five, 10, yes. 20 years. Like if anything was a blessing in disguise, to be honest, mate. Like yeah, I don't regret anything that I've done in footy. Like I love everything that I've done, but I'm so excited for the next chapter. Mate, I was dear. I'm telling that story. Oh, mate, that's just us and the passion yeah. that comes with it. You took me, I felt like I was retiring again. Yeah. I felt like I was you retiring, I should say. And I was just like, oh man, because it breaks your heart. It does. It breaks when you've got so much energy and love for that, for something and you're attached yourself to it. To relive it, it's insane. Like we bury a lot of that. We bury how good that sort of part of your life was. And that's the one thing I say, I just miss the sheds. That's the one thing I get. I'm, I went back to rugby league late after surfing, but the one thing is just that mateship and everyone like getting on your back and just having the boys around and, and then the upbeat energy. And it's like, there's no problems in the world in rugby league when you're training or in the sheds around it. There's zero problem. A hundred percent, but also being able to find that elsewhere. Even like you running with Boogs in this morning, like being able to have that, I guess, community and having that mateship around, like that's something, I think that's why a lot of guys struggle because they don't have it. They go from every day for the last, you know, since I was 17, 18 year old kid to being however old they are, mid-20s, 30s, early 30s when they retire. They're in that group environment and then they just don't have anything and just drops off. But like 
the best thing about training is being around your mates. Yeah. That's the best thing. So being able to have that thing to fall on, whether it's, you know, going for a run with a mate, whether it's training in group settings, playing social touch, like whatever it is, I think there are ways to navigate around that. Yeah, we do. About the concussion, I'm dealing with this as a dad now. What do I want Sonny to do? I mean, I love rugby league. He's loving watching rugby league. You know what he loves more? Dust dust. Dust dust. Pow pow. Dust dust. He watches all the fights. Just like his old boy. Now, I've broken this down. I've actually thought about the numbers, okay? I might actually want him to do fight. The consequence at the end, being knocked out, is dangerous. But I guarantee you're going to get knocked out just as many times in rugby league. And this is where the difference between... I broke it down between boxing, rugby league, and NFL. Boxing, you're not sparring all the time. You're training. You know, every sparring now and then, you're getting a couple of taps. So it might be the shake that we talk about in your brain. Your brain doesn't have a seatbelt. So it's actually the shake that damages. It's not the... You know, the big impacts make your brain swell, but it's just the consistent shake, shake. And this is where all the CT comes into it. Uh, CTE, sorry. So boxing, maybe 10 a week, maybe 20 a week. 52 town, that's a thousand a year over 10, 20 years, 20,000 shakes. Rugby league, tackling practice, shake five times, 30 times, 40 times, 50 times at training. Plus on the weekend, you're doing 20, 30 tackles. You're in the thousands a week of the shakes. Okay. 50 weeks a year, 50,000, you're up in the 300, 400,000. NFL, and this is why it's such a big drama in the NFL, NFL is one-on-one impact. Every single play. You're not in every single tackle in rugby league. You're not in every single play. You're tipping on, you think, you're doing a couple of tackles, happy days, you got a little bit of contact. Every play in NFL is a one-on-one situation. Outside receivers crossing over, pushing off, the hitman in the middle, which is the main ones. Every play. Every play at training, every play in the game, every play. So they're getting like something stupid, like I think it was like 70,000 shakes a week. And then times that by a year, times that by 20, 30 years that they play the game since they're 10. That's why there's brain problems and injuries. So as a father and like pushing someone into sport, because he's going to love sport, but which one would I rather go down? I'm leaning towards fighting, to be honest, because fighting also has discipline. There's a lot of NRL players, and I'll call it out now, big, tough guys, strong. Yes, they could probably beat nine times out of 10. Do not know how to fight. One little bit, walk around, no one. You get into fighting and you understand the art of it and that calmness. You're calm in a situation. You understand that there's always someone more dangerous out there. A lot of rugby league players don't understand that. And then you watch them like stand up to throw some fights. And I'm not by any means a professional trainer, fighter, boxer, or anything like that. So I'll put that out on the table now. But also know how calm I became once I understood what the body could do and, and how to you know, use it in force. Before that, I was a scared little boy <laughs> trying to you know, run around and go, oh, I'm big and tough and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of people, like, grab, especially young males, gravitate towards that, like boxing, jiu-jitsu kind of style because it's a way for them to unleash, I guess, this like, built-up aggression. But man, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure how to navigate that conversation. Like, I'm not a dad. I don't know. Yeah. That's probably the biggest topic for parents probably at the moment, like whether to put their kids in contact sport, like because the codes are seeing it. They're seeing a drop in grassroots participation yeah. due to the conversation around CTE, around around traumatic head brain injuries, around, yeah, obviously like TBIs and everything like that. So I'm probably on a learning curve to figure it out. Like that's why I want to go down psychology. That's why I want to have a bit more understanding around brain health, I guess. It's obviously very aligned with, with my concussions. So mate, to be honest, like I don't have an answer right now. I'm keen to go on a journey to, to help figure it out because I think as a parent, you just want your best for your kid. I imagine. I imagine that's just what yeah. you, you, you want. You want what's best for your kid. 
And I know that there's a lot of really great traits and attributes that you get from boxing, that you get from playing sport, being in a team environment. But then there's also the the conversation around head knocks and around what's that going to do later in life or even during life, like even when you're in it. So mate, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. How yeah, to I'd say anyone who's listening or has kids or knows someone playing sport, I'd just say if there's one thing you're worried about concussion, just count the shakes. Go, go to train and count the shakes at footy train and count the shakes and, you know, sort of do a little bit of research in the back of that. I think there are some really great research coming out. And I think the more, like we're in our infancy, right? Especially with female sport coming yeah. in. Like, that's a whole nother conversation. Like I think we're really going to start to see more research around it because um, we are in our infancy. So yeah, I think, yeah, I don't have the answer. No, yeah. It's all happening. Look, um, I named him Sonny anyway. So if he's not a professional surfer, I yeah, don't know what he's going to do. He's, I'll just live all my dreams through him. No, eh? he, had, he had his surfboard out before. He was going to be in the water 100%. Ah. Yeah. Man, we got to do more surfing. I'm telling you, we have to do more surfing. It's the soul. Like you said, it cleans the soul. It does that. I want to keep you going. I want, I want to, you know, keep getting in touch. Like keep exploring. Hey, Keegs, what's Keegan and Co doing now? I can't, if anybody's out there, I can't push this enough. The man is on a mission. <laughs> You're doing the million percent the right thing. You've got all your friends on the back end of it and you've got some great production and great content. Anybody out there, jump over Keegan and Co. Look him up, Keegan Hipgrave on Instagram. Follow all his socials and do all that. But mate, have you got anything to add or? Mate, that's just thank you. I guess thank you for letting me share my story. Thank you for letting me be vulnerable. I feel obviously very comfortable with you to have these conversations. (laughs) That's why, mate, I think that's why the Keegan and Company, like the podcast works because a lot of them are just mates. So they're probably a little bit more open to have conversations like what we're having today. So, mate, thank you for allowing me to come on and and have this conversation today. Thank you for letting me be vulnerable and, mate, keep crushing it. I love where your head's at. I love the energy you bring. I gave you a big hug when I came in because I miss you. How good was it? I was like, oh, because. We speak, but I didn't. I haven't been able to see you, and mate, just that touch and the feel. I, I, I miss, like, I miss seeing you, mate. I got a yeah. lot of love for you and and for your fam. So, mate, thanks for having All me. All right, cheers, Keegs. Yes, ah, woo! <laughs> wow, that was the Any Given Chance podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Now, if you want to see some more action, head over to our socials and give us a like, share, and subscribe. We're on YouTube at the Any Given Chance podcast, and on Instagram and TikTok at any given chance and if you can hit share and subscribe much appreciated as we grow plus we're always looking for new guests so if you know someone in the midst of a battling good little bit of adversity or someone who's been successful message us direct we always check out inbox and of course if you want to check out old episodes repurposed ones you can jump over to our website which is anygivenchancepodcast.org Thanks for joining us once again I'm your host 3am365 Maddie Menion no days off No excuses, and I can't wait to catch you on the next one.